CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ market site on this expiration Friday. The guys are getting ready behind me, and while they're doing that, here's what's coming up on the show. And shares of Snap have done just that, rallying over 20% in the last month. But if you missed the move, Mike Co. was a way to get long for less than a buck. Plus, Micron shares have surged 40% this year. But Carter Worth says there's something in the chart that suggests now might be the time to take profits. He'll break it down. And something is wrong with the Chinese stock market. And it's inspired Dan Nathan to come up with an options trade that could triple your money in just two months. He'll break it down. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. And we start right there with Chinese stocks taking it on the chin this week as the trade war talks heat up. The China heavy emerging markets ETF and FXI large cap China ETF both down around 3%. So will these stocks be the big losers in the tariff tantrum? Let's get in the money right now. Dan, you're taking a look at this group. Huh? Yeah, so let, let's just talk about that Shanghai composite. I mean, it's been hugging this 3,000 level, which on, you know, um, over the last few years has kind of been an important level. Um, it just doesn't act particularly well, especially in a week where we saw these tariffs come into play. We know that China is going to be um, coming back at us hard here. Um, the S&P closed flat, but the Shanghai closed at a new 52-week low today, which brings me to the FXI, which is the ETF that tracks the large cap stocks in China. Very heavy industrial. This is a group that I think would actually see some uh, investor weight on them a little bit. There's the one-year chart. It's been bouncing off of 46 bucks a little bit. I just I think it's really interesting. This week, we saw some retail sales data in China that it's been the weakest, or at least the weakest rise in 15 years. There was some other data that was particularly weak. And I think the president knows that we actually have a little leverage here with China, and they can push for some of the changes they want to do with trade. But this could weigh on these stocks over the course of the summer. So to me, you know, I started looking at the FXI. I started looking at the price of options. They're pretty cheap. They're almost been cut in half, uh, 30-day after money implied volatility from the earlier highs in February, which kind of leads me to believe that if you want to express a directional view in the FXI, you know, long premium trades, long uh, puts, put spreads, that sort of thing is a pretty decent way to, uh, to do it. So today when the FXI was trading at 46.80, you can look out to August expiration, you could buy the August 47.43 put spread, paying $1.25 for that, buying one of the August 47 puts for $1.60, selling one of the August 43 puts um, at 35 cents. That costs you $1.25. It breaks even at 45.75. You can make up to 275 between 45.75 down to 43. Here's Here's the really interesting thing about this trade. It's a little bit in the money. I wanted to pick something right there. I'll let Carter speak to the FXI range. It's been trading in a range. And so what I want to do here is give myself just the best possibility for profits if I get a move down through that 46 level. I mean, I mean, look, the, the chart of the FXI is almost quite identical to the EEM, right? Meaning uh, you, if you're hovering at a low and you hold once and then you hold a second time, then you hold a third time, at some point, the odds are that you don't hold. You just don't keep giving it a chance. 
This is set up for a breakdown, technically. It's like when you drop the glass and you hear it bounce again and again and again, and, and you know eventually it's going to, to crash. You know, it's interesting to me that the price of options is as low as it is because it is, especially for this time horizon, because it's unlikely we're going to see any short-term resolution. You would expect those options premiums to be higher. The other thing that I find interesting, slightly in the money this puts spread, but you're still getting that nearly three to one payoff in terms of, of the amount of premium you're spending relative to what it could be worth. So I think the math works very nicely when you when you take a look at that, and it's kind of surprising that you get an opportunity to make that kind so of So Carter brought up the EM, and it's really interesting because we think of that as an emerging market ETF. It's very heavy in, in Chinese Internet, and we know that Chinese Internet has been really outperforming. So when I think about the FXI, which is a lot of these state-owned enterprises, right. a lot of these industrial companies, a lot of banks, Thanks. those things would act a lot worse if, if we started to see continued weak economic, uh, economic data because of the potential for um, increased you know, trade wars, that sort of thing. So that's why I chose the FXI. So does EEM look any better on chart basis? What's interesting is the EEM actually broke below its minor yeah. lows. It, it is probably a harbinger of what's coming for FXI. Wow. Now to a group of stocks that have been on an absolute tear. You want to check out the chips here. Advanced Micro Devices, Micron, NVIDIA, all up more than 30% this year. But the chart master here says the group could be running into trouble ahead of a key earnings report next week. So, Carter, why don't you head over to the plasma and break sure. it down? I mean, look, semis, you know, who would want to fight the run in semis? But at some point, all runs uh, abate, or at least uh, the rate of change uh, ameliorates, so to speak. Um, take a look at this. This is... Well, this is the scene of the crime. This is the dot-com bubble. Now, we know that the NASDAQ composite, think about where it is compared to its 1999 high. It's way up here in the S&P. But the case is that the semis have been stuck, essentially, for the better part of a year, contending with their dot-com high. So if you put in the line, you can see it here. Again, we put our circles. Now, remember, this is absolute. If you were to adjust for inflation, the semiconductors are way down here. Uh, it will take a long time just to get back to their high. Uh, moving on. Now, here is the here and now. Uh, many ways to draw the lines. I think this is as good a way as any. We've basically been stuck in this range. And uh, to my eye, I think we stay stuck. Moving on. Now, look at this. Relative performance to the tech sector. Again, semis have been stuck in this range. What's important is that they are underperforming the other choices one could have made uh, in technology. And then finally, let's talk about Micron. You can see the chart. You can see this line. And you can see the following. Off the line, off the line, off the line, off the line. Now here's the thing. We have the little bit of a prospect of having not made a new high. My hunch is that we've got a next trip down towards the line. So going into the number, my bet is to be underweight or short rather than overweight or long. All right, so Mike, what's your trade? Yeah, Mike so the, uh, the options market is implying about an 8% move. One thing about the price action that he did not cover, one chart we didn't show, is the volatility in Micron. And one of the things that we may remember from the tech bubble, those who lived through it, is that as stocks were reaching new highs, the volatility of those stocks also increased. That's not usually a healthy pattern. And it is the same pattern that we're actually seeing in these stocks right now, including Micron. Because of that, the options premiums are a little bit elevated. You add that catalyst there, too. So we're going to use a spread specifically. I was looking at the July 57.5, 50-put spread. You could spend 360 to buy those 57.5, sell the 50s against it for 90 cents. So you're spending about $2.70. That is a little bit more than we typically would 
invest in a short bet for a put spread. We're usually looking to pay, I don't know, 25, 30% of the premium. So it's a little bit more than that. But I think it's deserved here. And, you know, there was not a good opportunity in this name actually to sell upside call spreads or something like that. I did take a look at that. And, uh, you know, those were not very attractive, I think, given how volatile the stock is. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. You know, your charting is pretty interesting because that last high actually corresponded with their last earnings event. And it was actually a great report, but the stock had ripped like 30-some percent into it, and there was nobody left to buy it, right? So the next day it sold off 8%, and then it kept on going. I think it had a peak-to-drop decline of about 30%. Here we are now, back right before this earnings event. Um, Option prices are really high. I mean, like 8% in either direction. I mean, you know, that's not just like putting your thumb up in the air and figuring out. So um, I like the spread, I think it makes sense targeting that $50 level. I think you look at it some other semis. There's some other troubling issues going on right now in semiconductor land. Taiwan Semiconductor, it's the second largest component in the SMH, which is the ETF that tracks the stocks, can't get out of its own way here. They're the ones who make the chips for all these fabulous guys. And then there's the semiconductor um, uh, equipment guys who are actually making the equipment for the guys who make the semiconductors. And AMAC, CLAC, ASML, these things can't get out of their own way. So the, you got your NVIDIAs, you got your Microns, and people are so obsessed with but then there's some stuff underneath the surface that doesn't right, act and so not well. And randomly, it's all happening right at the 99 high. We're churning. Yeah. Oh, stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So could a better trade maybe be to put a trade on the SMH because they all look sort of questionable at this point? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, if you were to look at the options, you're going to find that they're much better priced. And I know you have looked at SMH in the past, and I think you probably are going to get some good bang for your buck. Because if the news here is bad and if the price action is bad, it's going to be bad for the whole space. This is a situation, you'll notice the distance between these strikes, 57 and a half to 50. The options market is implying a move of about 8%, but we're giving ourselves room for a little bit more than that because the stock traded just over 58 bucks on the close today. So, you know, we're saying, you know, potentially between now and July expiration, 10, 12 and a half percent downside, I think. Yeah, and look, you know what happens in earnings. You can get it totally wrong, and the thing is going to be a massive directional bust. But the setup to me seems like we've got a better bet on the downside. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's now available in over 40 languages. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up next. That's what investors in Snap are suddenly saying. But if you miss the move, we'll tell you how to get long for less than a buck. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. Social stocks heating up as the summer kicks off, and a big interview next week could add to the gains for one name in particular when CNBC's Julia Borson sits down with Snap CEO Evan Spiegel. Julia, what can we expect? Well, Melissa, I'll be asking Spiegel about a range of topics when we sit down at the Cannes Lion Festival's Ground Zero for ad platforms, Madison Avenue executives and chief marketing officers from the world's biggest brands to discuss the future of advertising. We'll be talking about competition with Facebook, backlash to Snap's redesign and recent moves to transform Snap's closed platform. Snap announcing just yesterday that it is opening up its platform to app developers, introducing SnapKit, which will allow app makers to bring Snap features to their apps. As part of that, Snap announced a partnership with Pandora, enabling Pandora listeners to send songs to their friends 
through the SNAP app and receivers will be able to swipe up to listen directly on Pandora. Now, this move to open the platform comes as Facebook backtracks on its data sharing relationship with app developers, as the access it gave developers draws scrutiny in the wake of the data privacy scandal. And that scandal is still weighing on Facebook's stock. Check out the performance of the social stocks this month. Now, Snap has been on a tear along with Twitter, while Facebook has lagged only up 2% as investors weigh the impact from the scandal and the company's stock gains this year. Now, in contrast, Twitter is up 32% and Snap is up 23% over the month. Now, those gains, despite Twitter falling 2% today, and despite an upgrade from UBS today, citing the World Cup as a catalyst for engagement and ad demand. Make sure to tune in Monday morning to Squawk on the Street when I sit down in a CNBC exclusive with SNAP co-founder and CEO Evan Spiegel. Melissa, back over to you. I look forward to that, Julia. Safe travels. Thank you, Julie Borson. Well, if you missed the run in SNAP, don't worry, because Mike's got a way to buy the stock for less than a buck. He's going to show you how to do it in his call to action. Mike. Hi there. So, yeah, Julia just mentioned that the stock is up 23% in about a month, maybe a little bit less. So it's moving very, very sharply off of those lows. That's one of the reasons we're going to look at buying options here. One of the issues, though, is that options, because of all of that movement, are fairly expensive. So we're going to look to our spread, and we're going to try to find a fairly good risk-reward. Bear in mind that if the stock was going to retrace the, the upswing we've just seen, that's going to be $2 to the potential downside. So I'm going to look for a move of a comparable magnitude. So we've seen it up about 2 bucks. What if we could get another $2 to the upside, but maybe not take that $2 worth of downside risk? Specifically, we're looking out to July, and the trade I was looking at was the 14-16 call spread. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could spend 75 cents for the 14 call, sell the 16s against it for 25 cents. That means that we get a three to one risk reward relationship because we can make a maximum here of three quarters of that spread length. We're only spending 25%. Now, another important point, because the options are so expensive, is that we're improving the probability of profit when we do this because the stock was pretty close to 14 bucks when we, I was looking at this earlier today, and I think it actually may have ticked above it. So that means that we have a very high probability that it's going to get above 14. The probability that it gets up to 15, which is very close to where the break-even would be if you didn't do that spread, is merely 61%. So we're improving that fairly significantly. And selling that 16 strike isn't really such a bad do. Why? Because there's only one chance in three that it's going to get that high or higher by July expiration. So this is a way that you can risk just 50 cents uh, to make you know, potentially as much some worth $2 uh, and not take the $2 worth of downside risk and the chances that it should go down. And I point out that since this company was publicly traded and has announced earnings, we've only had one good result out of the five that they've announced. The others have been sharply to the downside. So you know, maybe this app stuff is going to work, but uh, so far they're still struggling, I think, fundamentally. Yeah. Including the last earnings report, right, Dan? I mean, that's yeah. where we had a huge well, gap Well, the, the company actually guided revenue down for the quarter, and they basically talked about deceleration in their daily active users, and that really spooked investors. And, you know, when you overlay their first 18 months or however long they've been public versus Twitter, I think you probably made this point before, Carter, they look very similar. And the one thing that's really important to remember is that Twitter took years to bottom out. And when it broke its IPO price to the downside, it actually got cut in half from those levels here. So the way Mike is doing defining his risk makes sense. And I just want to make one more point about his his choice of July. The thing's up 35% just in the last three weeks or so. He's picking this to go with just more momentum up to 16 bucks or something like that. He's not playing a fundamental catalyst. This is just more momentum. And that's the thing. If this thing is up 40, 50% in its earnings, this is probably when you say fade it. Well, so here's the, here's the risk. I mean, obviously to be long. And we know that the stock plunged and we have now retraced in this very impressive move 
we're right back to the scene of the crime, the, literally to the penny from which it dropped in gap. So after you drop in gap, you leave all the people above trapped, right? They're unhappy, like, oh my gosh, I've just taken a huge hit. And when you get back to the point from which you get, you have interested sellers, people who are now made whole, and they want to take their money back. And that's only half the supply you encounter. Then you encounter supply from the bottom. People who, dumb luck or brilliance, bought it, who now have been paid a huge percentage to say, maybe I should book some of this. So there's a lot of uh, work to be done at this level, and my hunch is it, it really doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, that that run-up, 20-plus percent in just a month, it's kind of hard not to want to take money off the table when so many of the earnings results that they've announced have been so disappointing, and they have been. This obviously is a little bit transformative to say that they're going to open up the platform, but just because you open up to developers, does that mean you're going to still increase the users? And I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to be the case. The Pandora thing does seem interesting, but uh, it may take a lot more than that. The jury's out on that in terms of uh, the developer the jury's aspect? jury's out on everything. Well, let me tell you what the jury's not <laughs> out on is uh, Evan Spiegel. And, and I think investors in Wall Street, they still think that he is a very innovative product guy. But you're talking about a company that has a $17 billion market cap that's trying to compete with guys who are literally in the next few years, a lot of investors think will have trillion-dollar market caps. This is Google. This is Facebook. That sort of thing. So, you know, this is a David and Goliath sort of thing, and uh, Evan better hit the, hit the weights a little bit here. Beef up, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Still ahead, Apple shares stuck in the mud this month, but that's great news for Dan, who made a bullish bet on the stock two weeks ago. We will explain why. Plus, you're looking at the madman himself, Jim Cramer, on the Cramer cam, and tonight he's got a fascinating segment on the rise of the subscription economy. All that and much more at the top of the hour. We're live in Times Square at the NASDAQ. Much more options action still ahead. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Now, two weeks ago, Dan said Apple could be on the fast track to a trillion dollars. That range is really interesting. Since May 4th, it's been trading between 185 and basically 190, just banging around in that level. And so today when the stock was trading at 190, you could buy the June-September 195 call calendar, playing $5.5 for that. Well, Apple did rally, but has since given back those gains, and that's perfect for your trade, Dan. Yeah, so the whole idea was actually targeting September, the iPhone cycle, and fading the WWDC. That was their software event. So here, now you have that June leg that you were short that helped finance September. That expires worthless up at 95. So you're left along the 195 calls. Those have profited a little bit. So what I would do here is look out to July expiration now, and I would turn it into a calendar again, and I would sell the July 195 calls at about 2 bucks. And at that point now, you have the July. September 195 call calendar. You're again playing for further consolidation and you've reduced your premium risk to $3.50. Over the past month, it's really underperformed the NASDAQ 100. Oh, so that's what do you for sure. That? So we have that minor range, right? And we have a minor breakout and now we've given back all of the gains. So we're back to what would be support associated with the range from which it broke out and then fell back. I think it's fine. All right. Also two weeks ago, Carter and Mike said biotech was gearing up for a breakout. IBB and the channel it's been in since the low. Literally, a perfect channel. And my thinking is that we are at the low end and that we're headed to the high end. So I want to be long IVB here. I was looking at the July 103, 110, 117 call spread risk reversal, selling the July 103 puts for 95 cents, buying the 110 calls for 265, and then selling the July 117 calls for 45 cents. 
Shares of the IBB Biotech ETF jumping over 1% since the time of the trade. So, Mike, how are you trading the IBB well, now? Jumping and 1%, those don't go together. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Meaning, it's, we haven't done anybody any favors here. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, one of the reasons that we sold the upside calls and the downside puts was to offset the effects of decay. We have done that. The trade is probably up small at this point, as the stock is. We would only have the stock put to us at 103, so that's going to be down about 7% from where the stock is currently trading. So, you know, I, I don't see any harm in sticking with it for a no, little bit longer. No, and the day-to-day -day relative performance to the market is constructive. So I think, yeah, stay. Is that a place that you would be in then? I mean, just I think it has a defensive element to it, really? large cap, because okay. this is dominated by the big beaten up names. Like but it's Celsius. funny, you know, I look at this space and I say it's so far off those highs, right? It did kind of make a move back here. And we're in that sort of market. It just seems like it's getting like narrower and narrower as far as the stuff that's winning people are sticking right, with. But none you of this is winning. It's all right. the cell genes and yeah. Gilead that are down on the floor. So yeah. they, they, I think they already had their beating. Yeah, I don't know whether now's the time to draw a line in the sand, but I, we do have a cushion of about 7% to the downside. So we can stay long here, I think. All right. Up next, we're taking your tweets, so don't go away. Welcome back. Time to take some tweets. Our first fan, Donald, asks, should we use quadruple expiration in our directional strategy? Oh, it's a great show. We learn a lot. Thanks, Don. What do you say, Mike? Yeah, you know, I mean, they say witching. That sounds scary. Triple witching is scarier. Quadruple witching is scarier still. The fact is, I actually don't really look at it that much. If you're looking at expiration, the thing you ought to focus on is the open interest that is concentrated on strikes where you might hold a position. That can sometimes cause individual stocks to pin. But other than that, I don't really focus on it that much. This one's unusual. This next tweet comes from our executive producer, Maxwell Myers, who asks, who is the big boy today? Who's the big boy today? <laughs> Carter Worth. Wow. This happened at Happy the office, birthday. too. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> what, you got tweeted on national TV? No, no. <laughs> I got called after. That was a big surprise. Yeah, big surprise. Look at Carter. Now, time for the final call. Last the options. But birthday boy, Carter Worth, what do you say? Micron, when I get short or sell my longs before earnings. I would use put spreads for that, call spreads snaps. Hey, every yeah. three months we get a very special page helping us with a production show. Ryan Fish right there. He's the guy. We're going to say Great job, goodbye, Ryan. Great Congratulations. Job, Good luck. All right, our time has expired. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. Bad Money starts right now. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC.